this whole series, this whole Get a Grip series has been about shrinking the butts. Um, week one, we talked about getting a hold of your schedule. And um, then week two, we talked about maybe literally shrinking the butts because we talked about getting a grip on your body. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't presume whether yours is or not, but you know. Third week, we shared that anyone can give to God and can save for the future if they'll get on a spending plan. Shrink the butts when it comes to spending plans. Um, last week, we talked about uh, that God has, made, has gone to extraordinary lengths to make it possible for you and I to have this close, intimate relationship with Him if we'll shrink those butts and make time for that. And then today, uh, and, and by the way, we had 30 people stay afterwards last week for class 201 to learn about some habits that uh, you can um, employ in your life that will help you grow spiritually. And by the way, if you stayed last week, you need to get one of these forms. Come see me afterwards and you can get one of these forms and fill it out. You know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then go through class 101, which is at the end of February. And then when we have another 201 at the end of March, you'll be able to go through 201 and you too can Get one of these pieces of paper. They're special. Now, today, spit. Today, we're going to finish this series. I want to focus on shrinking the butts that keep us from experiencing meaningful, close relationships with other people. God desires for us to have close relationships with other people, not just with Him. Because when Jesus was asked, What's the most important um, of all the Bible, what's the most important commandments? He said, love God. And then he said, love others. Top two of Jesus, top 10, love God, love others. And so we're going to talk about how we can do that today. Now I'm going to give you a series of questions and I want you to immediately think of the name of a person or persons whom you would call in this situation. And I actually want you to write their names down on the side of your listening guide as you, these come up. Here's a couple of questions. First one, you're driving home from Dallas and your car breaks down at midnight. Who is the first person you would call to come pick you up? And spouses don't count. Janie and I had this whole conversation. She would call me. I would call her. But the spouses don't count. Who is a friend that you would call at midnight? You would not hesitate to call them. Doug, Doug thank you. Yeah, Doug doesn't work. Just call him. He doesn't have a job. I've actually had that happen before. Somebody was going to the emergency room. They were debating who they should call. And they said, Doug doesn't work. Let's call Doug. So at 3 o'clock, I took him to the emergency room. 3 a.m. Uh, number two, you and your spouse have been trying to conceive a child for over three years. This time when the test comes back positive, you're going to have a baby. Who do you call first to tell the good news? Write the first name down that comes to your mind. Tensions are really tight at home and at work. Your spiritual life is like a desert. You desperately need to talk with someone to confide in someone who cares about you and who will keep their mouths shut about the situation. Who do you call who will be able to provide you with good biblical advice? Biblical counsel. Write their name down. Next one. You're bored stiff. You want to call someone to go out to eat or catch a movie. Who do you call? All right. This next one. You have just won a two-week all-expenses-paid Hawaii vacation. If you're a married couple, you get to bring one other married couple with you. If you are single, you get to invite one friend. Who would you invite? Yes. That's the one you need to invite Doug and Janie on. We just, yeah, Hawaii, yes. Subliminally, I'm planting those seeds. Um, <laughs> now, how many of you wrote down more than one name? You had several folks that you could call in different situations. Today, I want you to be thinking about this. You need to celebrate those relationships that you have, those friendships. Cherish them, and I want to even challenge you to tell them 
Whoever you wrote down, tell them that you're grateful that God brought them into your life. Now, if you didn't have a set of names that you could write down, then I want you to pay very close attention to what we're going to be talking about today and maybe figure out that, that God has some ideas about how we're to do life that might be a little bit better than how we do life. Now, as we often do, we're going to go back all the way to the beginning to figure out where these relationships started and the needs that we have for close relationships. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 2. It's real easy to find Genesis. It's first book in the Bible. Chapter 2, second chapter in the Bible. Starting with verse 15. The Lord God put the man in the Garden of Eden to care for it and to work it. The Lord God commanded him, You may eat the fruit from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat the fruit from the tree which gives the knowledge of good and evil. If you ever eat fruit from that tree, you will die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is right for him. Remember that word, helper. That's going to be a big uh, word that we're going to look at in a minute. I will make a helper who is right for him. From the ground, God formed every wild animal and every bird in the sky, and he brought them to the man so that he could name them. Whatever the man called each living thing, that became its name. The man gave names to all the tame animals, to the birds in the sky, and to all the wild animals. But Adam did not find a helper, there's that word again, that was right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to sleep very deeply, and while he was asleep, God removed one of the man's ribs. Then God closed up the man's skin at the place where he took the rib. The Lord God used the rib from the man to make a woman, and then he brought the woman to man. And the man said, Now this is someone whose bones came from my bones, whose body came from my body. I will call her woman, because she was taken out of man. All right, we see in verse 18, second chapter in the Bible, we see there was one thing in the Garden of Eden that wasn't good. What was it? Adam wasn't good. Okay, spoken like a woman. Um, no, Adam was alone. Adam was good. Sin hadn't entered the world yet, ladies, so you can't, you can't blame Adam yet. That's not there yet. Man was alone. That was what was not good. Wow, we got some issues we got to deal with. Um. But we'll get there. The Bible tells us, if you go back into chapter 1, you'll see that God the Father says, let us make man, humans, in our image. He was speaking to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is one God who exists in three persons in a perfect unity that we call the Trinity or the tri-unity. And so God lives in this perfect unity and part of what He designed within us is a desire to live in unity with someone else, to know someone and to be known by them and to live in unity. And if we don't have anybody that we have close relationships with, there's no way we can reflect the image of a God who exists in unity. Uh, we can't reflect that image because we're not going to be able to obey His commands. So if you want to be like God, he said, let us create man in our image. One of the ways that God created us in his image is with this desire to know and be known by others. So there's this alone problem. What does God do? God always has a solution to a problem. We just usually don't wait for his solution or we don't obey him when he tells us what to do. At this point, again, sin had not entered the world. So God th goes through this huge, elaborate uh, series of events, this exercise to bring about a solution to the problem. Verse 19, you see, it's, it's funny to me that the Bible says God saw that man was alone and that wasn't good. And it says, so God was going to make a helper suitable for him. And then he creates all of the animals and he parades the animals in front of Adam and Adam names them. And it's this great exercise. And I think that as Adam was going through this whole process, I think he began to notice something. That this bird has another bird and that this animal has another animal just like it. And I think when it got finished, when he got finished naming everything, I think he went, but I don't have any one. 
And I think that was the whole point. God was saying, yeah, none of these creations were made for you. So he causes Adam to fall asleep and he forms woman out of his rib. And when Adam wakes up, he looks at Eve and and she's perfect and she's naked. And he goes, whoa, man, she looks good. God, really awesome job. God, you're good. And this word helper, this is not a bad word at all. And you probably heard this at weddings. If you even listen to weddings, I don't know how much you listen to. If you've been to a bunch, you start tuning them out. But the word helper actually corresponds to the same word used for God throughout Scripture. For example, in Psalm 33, 20, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And it means one who provides what someone else needs. So just in the same way that God provides what we need spiritually, um, relationally, emotionally, physically... God created Eve so that she corresponded to Adam's needs. What Adam lacked, God provided in Eve. And what Eve lacked, God provided in Adam. And here again, this is how God designed relationships to work. You have God, you have the man, you have the woman, you have three in a unity. And when we function in unity, we have this triunity going on. That's when we experience the highest relationship that God designed for marriage. Um... But God didn't... uh, Well, let me go ahead with with this. Um, Adam and Eve were of the same species, but they were also different. In case you hadn't noticed, Janie has different equipment than I have. She's here today. Just don't look at her. (laughs) Praise God she has different equipment than I have. Put that picture up there, Ashley. We go go ballroom dancing. And uh, doesn't she look good? Uh, Exactly. Jeff looked at it and goes, man, she's way too hot for you. And I said, that's the whole point of this picture. I'm cool with that. We went Friday night. We go ballroom dancing every other month. And we go to this club. And, and man, people see Janie and they go, you're beautiful. You just look beautiful. I've never gotten that. <laughs> and then when we get out there and dance, people always, always they'll go, Janie, you're an awesome dancer. And then they kind of look at me. And when we do the Latin dancing, there's, I'm not even going to try it. There's some hip movement, some Cuban motion that you do. I don't even try. And, and they'll say, Janie, your hips just flow. I hadn't gotten that one. And I'm okay with that. I, I, when she was 15, I met her at youth camp. I was 19. I, I met her. I went, she looks good. But I wouldn't date her because she was jailbait. And so then when she was 19, this is honest God's truth. When she's 19, she sends me her picture. And I went, hey, because I was deep. I was deep at 19. Or actually, I was, I was older than that. I was 23 when she sent me a picture. And I went, she looks good. Maybe, maybe I should pursue this a little bit. And, and so we dated on and off and, you know, had some issues. And then when we both, we hadn't spoken in months. We were at separate places. We were over three hours apart. And, and within a day of each other or a few days of each other, both of us looked up to God and said, God, I'm tired of being alone. But I don't want to. I don't want to go. And I'd never been to bars. You know. To try to pick up chicks. I never did that. Um, this was long before internet dating. Um, you know. All of this. I, I just didn't do that. And I said. I said. God. I'm, I'm tired. And, and, and the women in my church are ugly. And. Uh, <laughs> they weren't. We just weren't. You know. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a Baptist singles group. But. 
they're weird and they're going to be single forever. Um, and uh, anyway, so when we finally gave up and we said to God, I'm sorry, um, when we said to God, I want to do this your way, she said the same thing. Immediately, God set up this set of circumstances where we got back together. And so I went to see her and I said, I will not date you without the possibility of marrying you. And she's cool with me. Little did I know she had planned this marriage seven years prior. I didn't know all of that. It's a good thing because I ran from that commitment thing. But see, God provided a solution to my aloneness. And her name's Janie. The problem is most of us don't wait for God's solution or... We don't obey him when he tells us to wait. And, and we've got to realize that God looked down and he saw that Adam was alone and it wasn't good. And it wasn't until Adam and Eve were in this relationship, this whole oneness thing, that then God said, this is very good. Aloneness just won't do. When we're in relationship, then it's very, very good. But this is not just a sermon about marriage. Regardless of whether you're married or not, God desires for our lives to be in close fellowship with someone else. And, and to reflect what this next verse says, Psalm 133.1 says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers, and I put and sisters there because the implication is this is Christ followers. There are male and female Christ followers. And so I put the sisters there, even though it's not in the original text. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. Here we go again. This whole idea of a triangle with God at the top, and if you're a husband, you're here, and if you're a wife, you're here. As you move towards God, the distance between you gets smaller. God designed it that way. But it also exists when you have friends who are Christ followers. If you're the friend, and then you have another friend here, and God is at the top, as you move towards God, the distance between you gets closer. And you think about that whole triangle thing. If one person is moving away from God, the other person is moving towards God, there's a greater distance between the two. God didn't design it that way. He designed us so that when we function in tri-unity with God involved in our marriages, in our friendships, then life sizzles. And when we don't do it God's way, life sucks. Right? Okay, thank you. Thank you. That's an amen here, by the way, if you don't know that. I know that's right, baby. You just cry it on out whenever you want to. Now, I want you to think about uh, a couple of things. Let's look at, at, at... at a couple of things. If you think about in the New Testament, um, in this whole practice of taking the Lord's Supper, we're going to do the Lord's Supper at the end today. One of the things that God says is if, if you are not in right relationship with someone else, a brother or sister in Christ, and if you haven't done everything you can to make that relationship right, you're not supposed to come to the table. Relationship is so important that God says, don't get up there and eat the bread and, and drink the cup if you know somebody has something against you and you've not done what you can. Now, if you've done what you can and you've confessed, we'll talk about all that in a minute, then you come to the table. But if you know that you've not done something right, do not come because then the Bible says you will drink judgment upon yourself. Don't do that. And, you know, Jesus said, people will know there's something supernatural happening in your church when you love each other radically. But most churches that I've been a part of are not known for radical love, right? Radical sacrifice for one another. It's because we're not doing life the way God intended for us to do. Well, let me just ask you some questions. How can you know if people are in unity? What, give me some words. Just kind of call out some words that you think of. I've got a list here, but I want to see what words you come up with that you can tell. When you look at friends or when you look at a marriage, you can tell they're in unity. Give me some words that, that reflect that. Happy. What? Happiness. Trust. Close. 
respect, communication, affection, affection. honesty. Y'all are doing good. Trustworthy. I put kindness and laughter, appropriate touch, secret looks. And, and, and I'm not even talking. Janie and I have secret looks. We can look at each other and know what we're talking about. But I also have friends that you're, if you're in a situation, you can just glance at them. You know what they're thinking, right? Because you're in close relationship with them. I put you look forward to being with those types of people. And I put down stories. You have a history that you talk about. Now, the other side of that, what are some indications that people are experiencing disunity or marriages are experiencing disunity? Give me some words. Distrust, arguing, stealing, lying, unfaithful, unhappy. I put harsh words. I put countenance because you can tell. You ever walking down the aisle at Walmart and you see somebody that you, you don't want to see because you got issues? Their face looks just as happy as your face. When they look up and you go, hi. Yeah, y'all know. You've done it to me. I've seen you. <laughs> I put there's no tenderness. There is an avoidance of that person. Because you know too. You're going down the aisle. If you see them before they see you, get down the other aisle. Just avoid them. That's an indication though. And we've done it. That's an indication, though, there's issues in your relationship. And maybe you need to address those. Just a thought. I put gossip. Because when we have problems with other people, we run to people that we know and we try to get them on our side. Can you believe what they did? And you want somebody to pat you on the back. You're so right. When just the fact that you have to go to someone else and, and, and do all of that indicates that you're not right and your heart's not right. Well, let me give you some benefits that hopefully will, will con convince you that you need relationships, healthy relationships. Let's run through these real quickly. Um, meaningful relationships, number one, put an end to aloneness. Every one of us has felt alone times. And the most lonely people on the planet are those sometimes who are right in the midst of a crowd who does not know them. There are people that come here every week and they wish they knew somebody in this crowd and they're alone. And man, that's a sad, that's a, that's a bad feeling. Um, before I got married, before God rescued me from my aloneness, because honestly, Janie and I were talking about this last night and I have never felt alone since, since she's come into my life. I like you dudes, but man, you're just not equipped right. And, and I'll go out to fob and we'll have fun and I'll go home and hug my wife. Um, I've never been alone since God rescued me with Janie. But back before we were married, I was thinking about this this week. There was a time when I was in Austin. I was single. And I was interested in a girl, not Janie, obviously the wrong girl. And I caught her lying to me. Pretty much ended that. My best friend at the time, I caught them lying to me. And I was like, dude, what's going on? I was in a house, the first time ever, I was in a house, not an apartment, you know, or a condo or anything. I was in a house renting this house, and the owner was a church member, and he came up to me and goes, dude, sorry, my daughter needs a house, you're out, now. And, and I was like, wow. And all of a sudden, I had nobody. And then I found out that the church was going to fire my pastor, and half the church was going to leave. It was a bad time to be me. And I had no one. And I would go to my little three-bedroom house that was only temporarily mine because I was searching bad to find something. 
and I would cry myself to sleep because aloneness sucks. And I wrote some pretty dark stuff in my journal, my spiritual journal back then. But as I look back, I see that, that God carried me through it. And I actually learned more spiritually during that time than I probably have at any time in my life. But it sure makes me grateful to God that he rescued me. And I don't have to be alone anymore. And I have some close friends that, man, they've walked me through some stuff. And when I think about Janie and I think about my close friends, I'm just grateful to God that he provided a rescue for that aloneness. Second benefit of meaningful relationships is they multiply our joy. You ever been around when people start telling stories and they're just, they have all of these stuff and they start laughing, laughter just kind of spills over and you have this blast of a time. And then if you hear a really heart um, moving story, what do you do? You go and you repeat it to someone else. Cause when we've got good news, we just want to share it. And it seems to multiply our joy. You probably remember this story. If you've been in church any amount of time, there was a time Jesus was talking to a group of people and he tells these stories back to back to back about a lost coin, a lost sheep and a lost son. And whenever any of those things were found, you know what the finders did? They threw this huge party and they called their friends and they said, something I treasured was lost has been found. Come celebrate with me. We just like to celebrate. Whenever a woman, a young woman gets engaged, what does she do? Does she keep it to herself? She can't wait. Back before cell phones and, and Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff, when Janie and I got engaged 20 years ago this past, uh, on her birthday in, in December, we got engaged and we got home and she immediately calls on, on my phone, she, landline, she calls and, and she goes, I'm getting married, I'm getting married. Everybody she called, I'm getting married because she was excited about that. Don't you get excited? Don't you want to share when good stuff happens in your life? Doesn't it seem to multiply your joy when somebody else is excited for you? Well, if one side of meaningful relationships is it multiplies our joy, the other side is it divides our sorrow. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. There are some things you're going to face in life that are only bearable if someone walks with you through that. You all know that Janie's mom passed away a few weeks ago. And the outpouring of love that you guys um, gave us was just outstanding. We had meals and you guys did a great job on the meals. I wouldn't tell you even if you didn't, but they were good. And, and we got cards, Janie got cards and we got flowers and plants and just all kinds of stuff. And some of you even drove to Duffo. Duffo is a spot that has a sign and a cemetery. Some of you drove to Duffo for the, the graveside service that was in 21 degrees when we started the graveside service and the wind was blowing out of the north 10 to 20 miles an hour. And you literally came and froze your butts off with us to help us when we fell. And, and, and we, we cherished everything you guys did for us to help us when we fell. Because when a loved one dies, I, I can't explain death. I've seen a lot of it. I've done a lot of funerals. I've watched people die many times. I don't like it. And the only thing that made it bearable was you all, brothers and sisters in Christ, that just came alongside us and walked us through. And I thank God for you. And, uh, you know, no matter how much we talk about the benefits of relationships, some people just don't get it. 
There's some people in this crowd right now that they're thinking, yeah, community's great. Unity's great for some folks, but not for me. Some people actually believe that relationships are a crutch for weak people. All I can tell you is the strongest men I know are in small groups on a regular basis, growing to be like Christ, inspiring other men, being inspired by other men. They're the strongest men I know in in Palestine, in Anderson County, are in small groups. Others of you say, man, I just don't want to bother anyone. Well, then you've bought a lie from the devil that says nobody wants to hear what you have to say. In the Bible, you never find an example of a Lone Ranger Christian. There's not support for that type of attitude. Some of you are going to have to take a chance that maybe God knows a little bit better how to do life than you do, and you're going to have to take a chance and invest a little bit of time in small groups. But, 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 I don't care. If it's important to you, you'll do it. Number four, meaningful relationships offer us good advice. Do you know you don't have to look for bad advice? Do you all realize that? It's everywhere. But you have to seek out good counsel, wise counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure. I wrote down, For lack of guidance, a marriage falls. For lack of guidance, friendship falls. For lack of guidance, a business falls. For lack of guidance, a church falls. Even the wisest people need counsel from others. There are presidents and prime ministers and rulers and other world leaders. They surround themselves with a group of counselors because they realize their choices have huge consequences. If the wisest people on the planet need advice, and if the Bible says we all need advice, what do we need? Advice. Good advice. I wonder how many of us could have avoided huge mistakes in our past. Bumps and bruises and heartaches had we just sought out godly counsel. Probably all of us. Wise counsel is rarely regretted. It's almost always helpful. I want you to stop right now and I want you just in your mind to say to God, God, what is an area where I need some wise counsel? You probably already know it. But just ask God to bring it to your mind. And then what are you going to do with that? Are you going to keep doing things the way you've been doing it? <laughs> and, and let me say this. Don't get your counsel from a fortune cookie or a horoscope or a palm reader. God doesn't speak like that. God speaks. And we just studied this for a whole semester. But I'll show you in Scripture. God speaks by His Holy Spirit all the time, by His Holy Spirit, through the Bible, through prayer, through mature Christians, I emphasis on mature Christians, and through circumstances. I hate to even mention that one because some people say, oh, the door's open, I should run through it. No. If you get all four of those in line, you get the Bible. You have something in God's Word. It aligns with that because God's never going to tell you to do something that, that disagrees with the Bible. And then in prayer, and then you have the wisest Christians you know going, that's a great idea, you should do that. And then circumstances line up. Then you can feel pretty good that that's where God is leading you. Most of us jump ahead and we say, here's the circumstance. It must be right. And then we injure our lives because we ran ahead of God. Fourth thing that meaningful relationships do is they make me better. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. In order for you to become the person that God wants you to be, male or female, that God wants you to be, You've got to make a commitment to some relationships where you look at somebody and you say, 
hold me to the truth. Challenge me, encourage me, redirect me, correct me, cheer me on. You have permission to do whatever it takes in my life because I want to be a doer of God's word, not a hearer. Our churches are filled with hearers of God's word when they need to be filled with doers. And you're never going to be the man or woman that God wants you to be until you're in a group of people for something we call accountability. Where you say to them, you have the right to look into my life. You have the right to correct me. You have the right to love me and cheer me on, but sometimes kick me in the rear. Because I'm not, but since I'm human, I'm not always going to follow God. And I need some people around me who spur me on to do what's right. And honestly, most of you, you already know what you need to do. You've heard more sermons about relationships and and getting involved in, in the church and in the Bible. You already know what you need to do. What you need to do now is to shrink your butts related to relationships. We're going to have a small group party tonight, and some of you are going to have to choose to invest a little bit of your time in relationships, or you just show off your big butts for everybody to see. And you'll be the same next year, if not worse, spiritually than you are right now. Today, we're going to uh, take the Lord's Supper, and let me just remind you this. And you don't have to be a church member to take the Lord's Supper. You do have to be a Christ follower. Because when we take the Lord's Supper, what we do is we look back to Jesus dying on the cross. And we say to everybody, when you take the the Lord's Supper, when you eat the bread and you drink the cup, the bread represents Jesus' body broken for you. The, The cup represents His blood that was spilled to cover your sins. So when you take that, you're saying to everyone, I'm a part of God's family. So that's why you don't do it if you're not a a Christ follower. And and nobody's going to feel bad. Nobody's going to look at you if you don't come take it. In fact, there's going to be some Christians today who don't take the Lord's Supper because we're supposed to look back at Jesus' death. We're supposed to look around. And if our relationships are not right and we've not done everything we can to make them right, we're not supposed to approach the Lord's table. It tells us very clearly in 1 Corinthians that some of you have approached the Lord's table in the wrong manner and some of you are sick and some of you have died because you've taken the Lord's Supper in the wrong manner. So there's going to be some Christ followers who don't take the Lord's Supper today. We're supposed to also look ahead. We look back at the death of Jesus, we look around, and we make sure our relationships are right, but we look ahead. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we're preaching a sermon that Jesus died, that that we're His children, and that He's coming back. The Bible says every time you take the Lord's Supper, you are proclaiming His death and resurrection until He returns again. So what you need to do today, right now, before you take the Lord's Supper, is you need to examine your hearts and make sure you're in right relationship with God and with other people. And kind of to help us do that, we're going to put a song up here. If you want to sing along with the song, feel free. Just remain seated. This is a time for you to reflect and, and if you're already ready, if, man, you came to church and you were fessed up and you're ready to take the Lord's Supper, you can come take the Lord's Supper. If you know you're not going to take the Lord's Supper, you can leave quietly, but let's keep it quiet in here. We're going to have several songs running through. And uh, when you're ready, there's a table at the back, there's a table here, there's a table here. Just go to the nearest table and take the Lord's Supper, remembering what Christ did for you to make it possible for you to be in His family.